2: And good morning and welcome to today's edition. It's Tuesday, of course, the uh, eighth day of February as we get ready to roll into the new show this today. I mean, it's like, you know, almost hump day already. Can't believe how fast the day. did warm up yesterday. That was a good thing. A <laughs> right? Little bit warmer yesterday. It's all good. Um, anyway, so a few things to get into yesterday markets were up mostly in the morning, doing fairly well, and then really kind of fell apart at the end of the day over news that Facebook is, well, they may have to pull out of Europe entirely. They kind of base all this, you know, their work in Europe, their ability to advertise and those type of things on data sharing of, of information, right? And so what Facebook is saying is that if they don't have an agreement in place with Europe to share data across the pond, so to speak, in terms of the data collection that they do get, they're going to have to pull out of out of Europe. So that weighed on Facebook stock yesterday. That kind of really drug down uh, Google as well, uh, potentially, which has a lot of the same potential issues with Europe. And so that weight on the whole technology sector yesterday and, and really the markets in general and wound up Giving up those early gains, of course, what was interesting is the market had rallied uh, early in the morning right back to the 20-day moving average, ran right into that resistance, and then this news came out and reversed those gains. The markets both ended negatively yesterday. Now, importantly, the problem that we're running into now is that this you know, buy signal that we had picked up a couple of days ago, that has, or I should say last week, that gave us the ability to rally off those previous lows well we're eating that up fairly quickly here so again so you kind of think about how markets work there's um it's like fuel in a a gas tank and you know when there's a lot of selling there's a lot of fuel in the gas tank because people have cash they want to put that back into the markets and when that money comes back into the markets if there's still not a lot of drive here for the markets to go substantially higher buyers and sellers are transacting at prices fairly rapidly and it kind of uses up that fuel in the tank so to speak and we wind up using you know kind of uh wasting these buy signals that we get uh, for the markets to actually make a lot of advance and and that's really kind of what's been happening here there's been a lot of churn in the markets a lot of rotation and that's eating up the fuel that's in the market from that really oversold condition we have uh, or had rather We have eaten up most of that kind of oversold condition now, and that's going to limit the ability for markets to move higher here in the short term. Again, 20-day moving average right now, kind of uh, providing from real short-term resistance to stock prices, the 50-day right above it. So there's a, a real challenge here for asset prices to move higher without some better news. And earnings have been good, but you know, there are some uh, kind of a lot of concerns going forward about slower economic growth, inflationary pressures, et cetera. And that was really our article yesterday, is talking about the real threat going forward is disinflation much less than inflation. And again, as we've talked about this before, it's simply a function of year-over-year comparisons of how we measure prices as an example. Um, we're going to see CPI this week. One thing to watch for there in CPI is used car prices. Used car prices have been soaring lately. I keep getting letters in the mail from auto dealers wanting to buy my used Toyota 4Runner, right? Because there's no used cars, right? There's a huge demand for it. And I get these letters like, did you know your car is worth more than you think it is? Yeah, I know. But if I sell it, I have nothing. I can't go buy anything else because everything's overpriced now in terms of cars. So, um, you know, this is, this is kind of the quandary that uh, people are trapped into at the moment as, as these car prices are high. Now, the point about this is that when we see the used car price aspect or the, or the, the car price aspect in CPI later this week, what we're going to see is, is that in, while the price of cars really haven't come down much at all, the rate of gains in car prices has slowed from where we were previously so inflationary pressures in car prices will start to come down and this is the this is the magic behind the the inflation number you've got to be careful of is that yes car prices could remain stagnant for a year and there'll be zero percent increase in inflation car prices are still overvalued right you're paying too much for a used car so this is what we're going about to see is that these we're going to start to see more disinflationary pressures in the economy as we move forward and that's is particularly going to be amplified by the fact and we saw this just lately in credit card data is, is really starting to pick up here we saw credit card balances decline after the 2020 pandemic because a people had nowhere to go nothing to buy <laughs> so they stopped using their credit cards as much and then we got we sent checks to households 1400 uh, some people use that to pay off some of their credit card debt. Good, smart. Good, smart way to use those free that free money. Paid off some of those credit card balances. And we, so we saw credit card balances decline in 2020, 2021. But as that liquidity left the system and inflation came in and cost of living went up, well, now we're starting to see a return to credit to make those ends meet. So we're seeing a fairly sharp rise in credit card spending. But that's got a limitation to it. There's only so much credit that people can take out in order to make purchases, uh, support their cost of living, et cetera, and of course, those interest payments go up as well uh, as interest rates rise. So you know we're starting to see, so that lack of liquidity and just the fact that the rate of change in prices will slow is going to show more disinflationary pressures. Now, we talked about that yesterday kind of at length in our article that's on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, but that's an important part as we start to talk about where the markets go later this year and earnings because expectations right now for earnings are off the hook. I mean, earnings estimates have been ramped up here over the last several weeks just on the expectation that economic growth is just gonna continue to boom uh, through this year, but that's a very highly unlikely possibility because as the Fed, of course, starts raising interest rates and reducing liquidity and all that previous liquidity from fiscal policy starts to come out of the system, you're going to get slower economic growth. That's just kind of a function of dynamics of markets and how that's gonna work out. And especially when it comes to economics, it's all about supply and demand. And if you take a look specifically at, reta- at inventories, right? We've had a massive inventory build. And that was because of this lack of supply that we had to meet this big surge in demand that was coming from all this liquidity we injected in the system. Now one of the big components that we saw in the last GDP report from fourth quarter was a big build in inventories. So inventory builds made up about two-thirds of the GDP growth in the fourth quarter. So everybody's manufacturing, they're starting to go out there and build up inventories because they've got all this demand, but that demand is about to start reversing. So now you've got an excess of supply, weakening demand, and that's gonna to lead to lower prices. So, you know, the, the laws of economics don't change. It's all about supply and demand. So while there's a lot of expectation, and we're gonna get into this this morning as well, some more on the show, talking about, you know, what is a real bear market, why it is, and, and then the issue about what happens with slower, slower economic growth as at a time that you're hiking interest rates. So a lot to go into, but this is something that we'll get into more But again, keep a watch on what's happening with the economic data because it's telling you we're going to have slower economic growth this year. And that's going to impact earnings, federal policy, and of course, what's happening with liquidity flows throughout the entire economy. So more of that coming up right after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, for Real Investment Advice. Both those articles on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back after the break.
1: At daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: Are you leaving thousands in social security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your social security at our next virtual lunch and learn. What boomers need to know about social security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors virtual lunch and learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about social security register now at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show
2: show this morning i'm Rose science roberts of course uh Klein joining me this morning as always and uh, it is a tuesday as we kind of get things underway here so just talking about a second ago is that you know yesterday we had this rally um it failed midday because of this news out of facebook and, and again there's there's going to be more of this kind of turmoil coming along as you know there's a lot of pushback happening in, in various directions i mean uh congress is working on a variety of different pieces of legislation, in fact, Maxine Waters today and the House Financial Services Committee is meeting on Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies. So, you know, we're seeing a lot of, of push and, and particularly against companies like Facebook, like Google, that have a tremendous amount of data. We've seen the kind of the evil dark side of what happens with all the or, or the potential of what could happen from all this user, user data that these companies have. It can be used for you know, questionable purposes on a variety of fronts, and you know, so there's there's you know, countries really kind of all over the world, and governments are really starting to to look at this to to see if they can try to put the genie back in the bottle, <laughs> which may be uh, more impossible. I should say it's more of a question of closing Pandora's box. This I think that would be a better analogy. Um, or toothpaste. Or, or putting toothpaste back in the tube. Yes, but. Um, you know, this is, this is going to be one of the, the challenges that we're going to be watching more this year. But again, as we were talking about, you know, the, the markets rallied kind of back to that overhead resistance. And we're eating up a lot of that oversold condition we have, which is going to limit the upside that the market has in the near term. And that increases the risk, obviously, of more downside in the markets. So today's article, though, is, is I think this is, you know, something I was working through in last weekend's newsletter. And I wrote in the last weekend's newsletter that people will be surprised that a 50% correction in the NASDAQ won't be a bear market. And immediately, of course, when I published that, I got a ton of emails back. It's like, what do you mean? A 20% decline is determined to be a bear market. And it's like, yeah, that's the way it used to be. And it's the kind of the measure that the mainstream media holds on. But what really denotes a bear market is a change in the trend of stock prices, not just a decline. If the market was flatlined, For five years and I mean like had zero change for five years that would kind of be a bear market right I mean (laughs) you know you make no money in the market for five years but if we measure a bull market by rising prices right because as long as prices are rising goes hey it's a bull market we need to be in it right markets are rising then a bear market is technically when stock prices aren't rising over a period of time. And I had written about this back in March of 2020, actually April of 2020. I wrote about why the March decline of 35% while everybody talked about that being a bear market. It's like 35% is a bear market. We were down more than 20%. It's true we were. But we were so far above the bull trend line, that the correction of 35% only got you back to the bullish trend line. You actually never changed the trend of the market from bullish to bearish. So technically, it was a correction. And then, of course, following that decline, the Federal Reserve and, of course, the government came in with just trillions of dollars worth of liquidity, and we ran the markets up 130% from those lows. So now the deviation is even greater. So we already had a maximum deviation from the long-term growth trend in, 2020, in March of 2020. We were well above that long-term trend line. Now we've just dwarfed it. And we've now got a bigger deviation from long-term trend than at any other point in history, whether you measure it by uh, linear trends, logarithmic trends, it doesn't matter the deviation from those long-term trend lines is just at a record level we've never witnessed before, period, ever, the end. So a reversion back to just the growth trend, just your normal upward-trending bullish trend line. So, I mean, if you take a look at the markets and you draw a line you know, along the bottoms, you get this nice 45-degree angle, and you go, yep, prices are trending positively, and sure, along the way, you had little corrections that took you back to that trend line. Normally, those corrections back to the trend line were five, ten percent, a normal correction. Exactly what you would expect. And in fact, you know, if we use the standard notation of a correction, it's t- a, a decline of 10% is a correction. Decline of 20%, according to the media, is a bear market. Well, Back in the day, before we started liquefying markets with all kinds of Federal Reserve and governmental interventions, a 20% correction would, because we weren't that deviated from the trend, a 20% correction previously would lead to a break of that bullish trend line and prices would be negative, you know, AKA what we saw in 2008 or in 1999, 2000, 1973. Right? So those were real bear markets. We broke the bullish trend line. Prices trended negatively for a period of time. That was a bear market. March was a decline to the trend line and an immediate rally back up to new highs. And that's not a, that's not a bear market. That's a correction. The problem today, as I wrote in the article that is on our website now, is that a 50% decline would still be a correction. Now, this is hard to fathom, but that's how distorted the markets have become because of all this liquidity that we've been injecting into the markets over the last year, or actually two years. You had record global inflows of over a trillion dollars last year. You just had money just pour into markets. I, I told you previously, I went to an M&A event earlier this year to MC it and The conversations offline was like, man, there's just money laying around everywhere. I mean, if people have got a deal, you can just get money for it right now. They'll give you money for anything. I was talking to a a gentleman a couple of days ago. And we were talking about venture capital for oil and gas companies. And if you want to do a traditional oil and gas drilling venture, it's very hard to raise capital right now because it's all considered to be dirty money, right? But if you say... Hey, I want to drill for oil and gas, but I want to do it in a clean way. (laughs) I want to have a low carbon footprint drilling program. People throw money at you, right? I just made that up, by the way, but you you get the point, right? You just got it's kind of like ESG investing, right? Just take an S and P fund, relabel it ESG. People throw money at it, right? This is the insanity that we've gotten to in the markets right now. People don't really care about what you're actually doing. They just want to feel like they're doing something good for the environment which was interesting because scientists just came out yesterday and said yeah all their calculations on climate change are probably wrong because they didn't calculate for cloud cover properly and it'll take a computer a thousand times stronger than exist in order to make those proper calculations so there's that but we're all trying to do that right we're all trying to invest green and we're not paying attention to the fundamental drivers of what happens to the economy and where all these other products come from ultimately. And so we're making these decisions based on emotion. But because of all that liquidity just sloshing around in the markets, we've now driven these deviations to extremes we've never seen before. And ultimately, at some point, you're going to have a reversion of that. And, and the reason, and look, let me be clear. I'm not saying that a 50% correction is a good thing. It will be just as devastating as a 50 percent decline in a bear market, but the technical definition of it will be a correction because you never broke the bullish trend. And that's the hard part to believe. See, the, the, the point of the article is not to, to make a claim about, you know, just a 50 percent correction being no big deal, because it is. It's devastating. But the point of the article is really that we have created such a misallocation of assets and have created such extremes in market prices that it will take a 50% decline just to reverse some of the excess. And I don't think people really understand, especially in the financial media, just how big that is. And why that is such a important concept to understand. You know, we're all swept up into the moment of the financial market casino going, hey, this is awesome, man. Probably, I just throw money at the markets. And it's something we talked about. We've written a couple of articles about this and have talked about this in the past is that, you know, when you start seeing people on Facebook and, and other social media programs going, I don't even know why I work, I can just make more money sitting at home trading stocks. You know, you're getting to the end of a bull market. And by the way, I haven't seen a lot of those posts lately. My Twitter feed used to be filled with videos of young millennials trying to tell me how to trade stocks, right? Gone, haven't seen any of them. But this is what happens in markets repeatedly and people wind up losing a lot of money, but, the, but again, you know the important takeaway here is that the markets appear to be stalling you have a lot of headwinds coming this year you've got the fed tightening policy you've got less liquidity you've got inflationary pressures you've got all these things what used to be tailwinds are now headwinds and now i'm not saying and importantly don't mistake what i'm saying i'm not saying that we're about to have a 50% crash in the market. Oh my god, run and and buy everything. You know, no, I'm not saying that at all. You know, what I am saying is that that is the risk because of these extreme deviations that we've got to deal with. We'll come back, talk about gold, inflation, interest rates, more. Don't go away.
1: Investment Advice Blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Are
0: you leaving thousands in social security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your social security at our next virtual lunch and learn. What boomers need to know about social security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA advisor's virtual lunch and learn, Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers Need to know about Social Security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com.
1: You're listening to the Real Investment Show.
0: Comfortable.
2: It's Tuesday. I woke up too early this morning. (laughs) It's already catching up with me. You know, it's like that old, it's like that uh, army saying, you know, we do more by 9 a.m. than most people do all day. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I hit that mark at seven this morning. (laughs) (laughs) It's cumulative. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so again, go to the website. Uh, The article today is called. you know, a 50% correction. And the point of it is, is to understand the magnitude of the deviation that we've created because of all this liquidity in markets. And, and while there's a lot of ex- kind of excuse it's like, oh, well, earnings are growing and all this, I get it. But prices are a function of gravity ultimately. And what causes the eventual reversion is unknown. Generally, it starts with the Fed hiking rates and tightening monetary policy, and then ends up something bad. <laughs> so it was interesting. And I said we come back from the break. We're talking about interest rates and gold um, because I'm getting a lot of questions about that. In 2017, kind of mid-late 2017, the sentiment on owning bonds was about as bearish as you could get. Everybody was convinced you don't want to own bonds. Fed started to hike interest rates. Economy's growing. Trump's getting ready to pass tax cuts. Why would you want to own bonds? Only own equities. And that was a point in time we wrote articles talking about why now was the best time to own bonds. And when the Fed hikes rates, yes, interest rates move up initially when the Fed's talking about hiking rates. But once they actually start getting into the rate hiking campaign itself, money tends to flow more towards safety as you begin to get economic weakness, disinflation, which is interesting because if you look at where we are, that's where we are right now. Sentiment today is just as bearish on bonds as it was back then. You got the Fed getting ready to hike rates, so interest rates are moving up, obviously. And you've got these concerns over inflationary pressures. But you know, this is the interesting discussion that that, and this goes to gold as well. Got an email yesterday. I'm very heavy, long gold, and you're talking about disinflation. You know, should I sell all my gold? Well, you know, the the, the point is, is that you've got to start thinking about the sequence of events that's coming. Now, we're going to get inflation print on Wednesday. I think there's a possibility we could see it be a little bit softer than expectation. But, you know, even if it's right on the nose, even a little bit stronger, we're still picking up on inflation that's still running through the system from last year. As we go forward, again, remember that inflation is a function of the rate of increase in prices. So think about it this way. I've got a quarter, and somebody gives me another quarter. So now I've got 50 cents. I had a 100% increase in my wealth. Pretty good. Then Brent gives me another quarter. Now I got 75 cents, but my rate of increase is now only 50%. Then Brent gives me another quarter. Give me quarters. (laughs) Now my net worth is a dollar, but my rate of increase is only what? Do the math. The point is, is that prices can still be increasing in inflation in terms of prices going up but the rate of increase which is how we measure inflation will slow just a function of math but more importantly why does the Fed hike rates they hike rates to do what well first of all they're talking about right now is like the reason we held interest rates at zero for so long is we need to get back to full employment and our inflation needs to be at our target rate of 2%, blah, 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 blah. Like they have any control over any of this. But now we've got employment at full, right? Full employment. And inflation's running at 7% plus. So now they're hiking rates. Well, why do you hike rates? Well, I hike rates to do what? To slow economic activity. Because where does inflation come from? It comes from too many people running around, buying stuff, pushing up prices, supply, demand. And you've got this crimp in supply, or you had this crimp in supply, and the surge in demand because of all this liquidity, which created this inflationary pressure. People are running around acting like this is a normal economic event of strong economic growth leading to to demand of, of goods and services. Everybody kind of forgets this all came from a surge of liquidity that's now gone. But regardless, the Fed hike rates, hikes rates to slow economic activity, a la you get slower economic growth and inflation. So if you own a lot of gold betting on inflation to stick around for a while, you may be disappointed because the disinflationary trends are going to start to show up. In fact, take a look at what's happening with tip flows. This is people putting money into tips. TIPS are Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. These are are bonds issued by the government that have no effective yield, but they adjust for the rate of inflation. There was a massive inflow into TIPS as inflation was expected to be rising, and that was the right call. Now those flows are reversing sharply. In fact, you've got some of the largest outflows of TIPS right now on record. Why would people be selling their tips if they think there's a lot of inflation coming down the pipe? Because the rate of inflation will will shift. Maybe not this month. Maybe not next month. Maybe not next quarter. But as we get further and further out to the year, the rate of that inflation is going to slow. And this was this was a chart that we showed in our article yesterday on disinflation's the biggest threat. That the monthly changes of CPI are already slowing. So when we report CPI, we say CPI was up 0.5% last month, 0.6%, whatever it is. Well, that monthly change has already been declining and will probably slow again this month. Again, just a function that price increases are slowing on a rate of change basis because, again, it's it's kind of the law of large numbers. The larger the number gets, the bigger price increase it takes to make a change. 25 cents to 50 cents is 100% change 50% to a dollar is 50%, right? It's just a law of large numbers is where we're getting into the to the issue of math. The point though is is that ultimately as the Fed hikes rates, economic growth slows, inflation slows and people begin to seek out the safety trade, which is why people start buying bonds, treasuries not just domestically, but globally. And, and look, this global slowdown is already occurring. In fact, monetary policy is tightening all around the world. So, you know, as you start to get more concern about slower economic growth, disinflation, and particularly, you know, war in the Ukraine, right? If I'm in the Ukraine and I've got money, do I I want to keep it in Ukraine if I'm being invaded by Russia? Probably not. Where's it going to go? I'm probably going to buy U.S. treasuries with it. Well, in order to buy U.S. treasuries, I've got to convert it to U.S. dollars first and then buy treasuries. Makes the U.S. dollar go up in value. So these are all the things, So you know, this is one of the things you have to think about when you're, When you're making a bet, and particularly if you're doing something where you're all in on one type of investment, and this was the email I got yesterday, the vast majority of my money is in gold and physical gold and silver. Okay, fine. But you always have to think about well, what if you're wrong? What if something changes? What's the drivers of those assets? Particularly commodity prices. Commodities are very subject to economic, geopolitical events, you know, interest rates. I mean, there's so many things that affect affect commodity prices. And you can't just sit there and isolate it and say, "Well, I've got supply issues, so we're gonna have inflation forever. That's 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 gonna solve itself. Maybe not next week. Maybe not next month. Maybe not next quarter. But the supply issues, the supply chain problem, will solve itself." Of its own accord, people will, people will build more supply. When there's an opportunity, you know, it's a beautiful thing about capitalism is that when, when there is a void somewhere, someone will fill it. Now, you can't say they're going to fill it tomorrow. Some things take time. You can't just build a semiconductor plant overnight. But more plants will get built. Production will go up people expand existing plants. You know, all these things will happen. And so eventually we'll turn a supply shortage into a supply glut. And this is also something if you're, you know, we're long so we're long semiconductor stocks in our portfolio, but there will be a point to where you know, we're probably not going to want to own them. And this is what you got to think about within your portfolio is is look at how you're allocated. I know that there's this bias towards certain assets, right? Because of fears of inflation, fears of this, fears of that, fears of other things. But that's remember, when you're basing your investment strategy on fears of something, that's emotional. And what we want to focus on is not just what's driving the trade in the short term, a.k.a. oil and gas, But what's going to be driving it long-term? And will the current situation change? A, what caused the current situation? Was it natural or not or artificial? And what happens when the environment changes? So it's just something to think about. Okay, we'll come back, wrap up the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. Don't go away.
1: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: Are you leaving thousands in Social Security money on the table? Prepare to properly claim your Social Security at our next Virtual Lunch and Learn. What boomers need to know about Social Security. Your claiming choices now can affect your loved ones later. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for our next RIA Advisors Virtual Lunch and Learn. Thursday, February 10th at noon. What boomers need to know about social security. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
2: And so welcome back to the show this morning. Getting ready to just kind of wrap things up here. So, you know, a few questions, of course, is Again, you're always welcome to join our YouTube channel and uh, kind of chat away as we have the show. We'll try to get some of your questions if we can. Um, you know, One of the questions was interesting because you know, will the outflows of TIPS and will you know, other issues that are going on right now, slowing rate of inflation potentially, stop the Fed from hiking rates? The question basically is, is has their jawboning so far that they're going to hike rates enough? and that they'll simply say, well, we're just not going to hike rates because we don't really need to because everything's going to fix itself. No, the the issue is they're going to hike rates. Here's the reason why. Regardless of whether or not they actually believe they have any impact over inflation or not is irrelevant, what they do know is that, and again, they watch the yield curve just like everybody else, is that with no liquidity coming into the system now, from more government spending, et cetera, the risk of a recession is now rising rather sharply. In fact, some recession indicators are already up to 18 19 20%. The uh, yield curve is rapidly dropping towards zero, and the two-year forward yield curve is already, in, is already inverted. And, and the point about that is this, is that the Fed only has one real tool to fight recessions, and that's interest rates. If they're at zero, they've got no policy tool. So even if the Fed thinks that inflation is going to solve itself, and remember, the Fed has kind of remained in this transient camp more than not, but they recently started changing their tone a bit to, to inflation being a bit more persistent than they originally expected. And the reason they're making that change is they've got to get rates off of zero. If they get caught, the lesser of two evils is this. Here's my choice is the Fed. I can do nothing, leave rates at zero and just kind of hope that things resolve themselves and they probably will over time. But I'm going to continue to inflate asset prices and when we eventually get into a recession, I've got no policy tool to work with so we're just going to have to kind of let the market run its course. We can try to do QE, but QE only supports asset prices. It doesn't help economics. The other side is is that You know, I can hike interest rates now, potentially cause a market convulsion, but get off of zero. And even if I accelerate a recession, then I can drop interest rates back to zero and do QE and potentially get that psychological support going again for markets in the economy. The problem is that each time they go through this cycle, and this is what they did in 2018, of course, when they rapidly reversed course, is that each time they hike rates, they're getting closer and closer to the zero bound. In other words, every rate hike, sequences of rate hikes is always to a level lower than the previous peak of rate hikes. And that's been going on since 1980. So this time they they might hike rates to half a percent or one percent before the economy and the market kind of falls apart. And then they've got to lower rates back to zero again. But the worst case, the, the lesser of two evils is the hike rates off of zero. So they've got some ability to lower rates to offset the next recession, which is going to come. It's just a question of time, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, whenever. But being caught at zero is the worst possible outcome because they have no policy tool whatsoever to work with. And QE is really non-effective. In terms of anything other than just boosting asset prices and and creating more wealth inequality, and that's really you know they got away with that for a decade, but now wealth equality wealth inequality is becoming a major issue, and the Fed knows that they're that they're culpable in the creating of that wealth inequality because you 're not promoting organic sustainable economic growth, and you only do that through production so you know The Fed's gonna hike rates. It's just a question of of how aggressively do they do that. There's a rising possibility they might hike rates 50 bips in March instead of just a quarter. You know, it's a it's a rising possibility. I don't think they will. I think the you know, again, it could be wrong. That depends on how concerned they are about getting off of zero. I think they'll probably stick with at least a quarter basis point to start with talk the markets through that and then potentially do an intermediate rate hike if they feel like they need to get further off of zero before, you know, whatever happens. But I think their real goal is they've got, I think that internally they know they've got to get to 1% somehow before the market forces them back into having to lower rates. So we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, look, any, anything is possible. There is, a, there is certainly a possibility that come March that inflation is already starting to show up. Again, we're going to see first quarter GDP growth be fairly weak. If we don't start to see economic numbers really starting to pick up for the second quarter, that's going to be weak also. That may be enough concern that the Fed goes, oh, uh, maybe we'll wait. So it's possible. But again, I think the, I think the biggest problem for them is, is getting caught at zero. So a couple other things here as we just get ready to kind of wrap up the morning. You know, it's interesting to watch what's going on, you know, kind of really kind of across markets. Because everything that we were betting on previously, right, you know, cryptocurrency, and this is the new thing. And, you know, we're going to bet on all these disruptor stocks, and that's the new thing, you know, like the meme trading, right, we're going to SPACs etc you know uh, interesting uh, this whole this whole issue going on between joe rogan and what's happening with spotify there's a spac that is out there that a company called rumble is involved in so this so remember what a spac is a spac is a special purpose acquisition company and they take a private company and roll it into the SPAC so that they can effectively be publicly traded. So, this SPAC is for a company called Rumble. And Rumble is the parlor, right? So, parlor is the freedom of, of voice version of Facebook. So, Facebook is Darth Vader, and parlor is Luke Skywalker, right? <laughs> Dark side, light side. So Rumble is the Luke Skywalker of YouTube's Darth Vader. And they actually sent a Twitter over to Joe Rogan, said, hey, move all your shows, new and old, over to Rumble and we'll pay you $25 million a year for four years. So $100 million offer from Rumble to Joe Rogan. Their spack went eight yesterday. Right. <laughs> and again, just you know people still kind of speculating on these one-off events. And look, there's there's probably first of all, I don't know what Joe Rogan's contract looks like with Spotify, but I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he just can't, you know, walk I'm you know Spotify paid Joe Rogan a lot of money to Come over to Spotify, so I am sure Joe Rogan can't just pick up and, and move all of his shows over to Rumble uh, without a major legal lawsuit. So it's probably not going to happen. But it was. In, but my point is, is that it was an interesting outcome because Spacs have really just been beaten to death. You know, there's a lot of interest in Spacs there for a while, and 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 again, this is always the the issue of Wall Street and why you always have to be very careful about how you invest money and where you invest is that whenever there's a lot of, you have to remember that Wall Street is a major business. It's a, it's a massive business. And what is it a massive business of? Sales. It's what Wall Street does. There are a bunch of salespeople. And look, financial advisory business, sales. It's all we do. All day. What, we're do- what are we doing right now? We're selling, right? <laughs> I'm giving you information, selling my wares. That's what I'm doing, just you know, full transparency. I would love to have your business. But you have to remember that Wall Street is all about sales. And so when there's demand for any product or anything, right, if there's a demand for anything, Wall Street will fill that demand. It doesn't matter whether it's good product or not, forget that. It's just, oh, we've got so much demand for IPOs that we can't get IPOs out fast enough. Let's do SPACs. It's a fast way to get an IPO done. We take an existing public shell, slam a company in it, take it public. doesn't matter if the company makes money or not. Let's just do it because people want to buy this dang thing, right? I mean, Aaron Rodriguez coming out with a SPAC, that should tell you all you need to know, right? I'm not nothing against Aaron Rodriguez, great baseball player, not so sure he's qualified to run a SPAC. Just remember that it's always Wall Street's job to sell you a product. Wall Street, uh, this is one of my, you know, I I always loved uh, UBS, uh, Union Bank of Switzerland. I love their motto, you and us. No, it's not you and us. We're not in this together. It is me selling you products so I can make a profit. This is why they report profits every quarter, right? It's not a mutual industry. It's not like a mutual insurance company where you're a member of the company and, you know, you're all making profits together. That's no, there's just they're they're creating product and selling it to you. In fact, if you take a look at a, a they did surveys on this, if you ta- they surveyed all these investment bankers and they go, where do your retail clients rank right there at the bottom? They are the least of your concerns, who's number one on their list, who are the people they are trying to satisfy? All the publicly traded companies that they want to do investment banking for, secondary offerings, credit issuances—that's where they make their money. They don't make any money selling you, you know, trading stocks for you. That's why they promote buy-and-hold strategies. Just, here, get in this buy-and-hold strategy. Leave me alone. Just go sit in it. I need to go work on stuff that really makes me money—investment banking. So just remember, all these things that come out in the in the and and the rush to get product to market tells you tells you what the drivers of the markets are and also should tell you about the risk of, of chasing some of these assets. And, of course, the eventual turnout was not surprising. All right. Wraps up the show. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our article is out today. as why a 50% decline would just be a correction. That's on the website now, along with the article from yesterday on disinflation is the biggest threat over the next year. It's all on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, send us your questions, comments, emails. That's all we can do to help you. We're always happy to do it because that's what we do. We're here to help. RealInvestmentAdvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow.